And welcome back to Regionally Speaking with your host, Dee Dotson. Indiana lawmakers will return to the State House in just a few weeks for the short, non-budget 2024 legislative session, and education is among the top priorities. Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch joins us now to talk about the upcoming session, mental health and wellness during the holidays, as well as an exciting grant opportunity for a Black History Month curated art exhibit in Gary. Lieutenant Governor Crouch, as always, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. It's wonderful to be with you, Dee. Absolutely. So, Lieutenant Governor Crouch, we have spent a lot of time in the past talking about the work your office is doing to ensure that all Hoosiers with intellectual and developmental disabilities that have that desire to be able to enter the workforce. For those that may be unfamiliar with some of the programs you've championed, partnering with organizations and employers across the state, take a moment to talk about some of the recent tours you've done to advocate for as well as support inclusive talent programs. Absolutely, Dee. And as Lieutenant Governor, I chair the Intellectual and Developmental Disability Task Force. So we have 100,000 Hoosiers who have autism, Down syndrome, or cerebral palsy. And so we work through that task force to ensure that they can live, work, and play in safe, accessible, affordable environments. Because our friends with disabilities are really just friends with different abilities, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they have the same hopes and dreams and desires as each and every one of us. They want to have friends and have a job and love and be loved and be successful in life. So we focus on being able to ensure that they can do that. And one of the things that is most important to all of us, whether we have a disability or not, is being able to have a job. And yet Hoosiers with disabilities have a 70% unemployment rate. When we're looking at here in the state having a little over 3% unemployment rate, Hoosiers with autism, Down syndrome, or cerebral palsy, or with a physical disability, have 70% unemployment rate. So we've been focused on how do we highlight those employers who actually are employing those Hoosiers with disabilities. And in September, I visited different employers around the state and was actually up there for the Opportunity Enterprises Respite Center, their ribbon cutting, uh, where you actually have, and I believe it's in Valparaiso, actually have a place now where parents or family members of those Hoosiers with disabilities can take their loved ones and actually get a break. And then, of course, for their loved ones, they're able to be in an environment with others and and have the kind of normal life that, you know, they get when they're with their peers. But more importantly, and as importantly, Opportunity Enterprises has partnered with Ivy Tech to be able to put in place a program that will train those Hoosiers with disabilities to be able to work and be prepared to enter into the manufacturing workforce. And so I was able to be there for kind of that announcement. And I was so excited to see the partnership between Opportunity Enterprises and between Ivy Tech to be able to prepare these Hoosiers with disabilities to enter into the workforce. Uh, And so want to be sure that in my position as chair of the Intellectual and Developmental Disability Task Force and as Lieutenant Governor, we're highlighting those employers so that other employers understand that this is the population that wants to work and with the proper training, 
their incredible employees uh, because they are very dedicated. They don't miss work. They don't call in sick. You know, they take their breaks when they're supposed to. And they're just mm-hmm. an incredible employee and they actually lift up the workforce. That is so true. As the um, loved one of someone who has an intellectual disability, who has been with the same employer for 28 years, when I often speak with her superiors, they they echo those same sentiments that you shared, that she takes her breaks when she's supposed to. She actually arrives probably an hour before she's supposed to arrive, but that she goes above and beyond. And so definitely able to correct, but they are some of the best employees to have. And so I just wanted to reiterate the sentiments that you just shared. Absolutely, Dean. When, when we have a hundred over 100,000 unfilled jobs here in our state, and we have people that want to work. Um, let's encourage our employers and business people to look to that population to hire them, because as you, as you pointed out from personal experience, they absolutely make great employees. Lieutenant Governor Crouch, so I want to bring our conversation back locally for just a moment. One of the agencies under your charge recently announced an exciting opportunity to support the arts in Northwest Indiana, specifically in Gary. Take a moment to share with us what the IHCDA's Creating Places initiative is, as well as what the proposed project will mean for the region during Black History Month. Absolutely. Uh, The Indiana Housing Community Development Authority is an agency that I oversee, and they do affordable and workforce housing projects throughout Indiana. But one of the things that they're really um, absolutely focused on is quality of space and quality of place. And so what they have done is create a program called Creating Places, uh, where communities can say, we have a project that's really going to contribute to the quality of life of the people here in our community. And we want to, we set a budget where we want to raise X amount of dollars for this project. And if they meet their goal, then we will match them dollar for dollar up to $50,000. And so there is a project there in Gary and it's led by Tina's Legacy. And what they want to do is create a bringing our seats to the table exhibit. And they will use upcycled furniture to represent the struggles and the resilience of African, African Americans in Black history for the Black History Month in February of 2024. So their goal is to raise $5,000 by January 18th. If they meet their goal, we will match them up to, to the, for the full $5,000 from my Housing Community Development Authority Agency. Now, they currently have raised $135, so we need people in the community to, at this time of giving, to be able to reach in into their pockets and, and try to help this the Tina's legacy reach their goal of $5,000 so that we can match them. Because if they don't reach their goal, we don't give them any money. So they have to get to that 5000 in order to be able to get our $5,000 match. So I would encourage your, your listeners to be sure to um, look at how they can participate and help Tina's legacy. They can go to Patronicity, that's P-A-T-R-O-N-I-C-I-T-Y, patronicity.com backslash creating places. 
and they will be able to learn more about the project and how they can contribute to help them reach their $5,000 goal by January 18th. Great, great. Let's hope that our listening audience does, in fact, go to that website and help support the arts. The arts are so important for not only uh, the region, but for the entire Hoosier state. Now, Lieutenant Governor Crouch, one of your most passionate causes that has sadly affected you personally, and it's one that you continually advocate for more resources during your time as a public servant, even making it a focal point of your campaign for governor in 2024, is mental health is mental health awareness. The holidays can be a joy-filled season, but they can also be stressful and especially challenging, especially those impacted by mental illness. A recent NAMI study showed that 64% of people with mental illness report holidays make their conditions worse. For individuals and families coping with mental health challenges, the holiday season can be a lonely or stressful time filled with anxiety, and or depression. The report also notes that if you're living with a mental health condition, stress can also contribute to worsening symptoms. And the report includes this example, for instance, that in schizophrenia, it can encourage hallucinations and delusions. In bipolar disorder, it can trigger episodes of both mania and depression. And we know the COVID-19 crisis has made maintaining mental health more challenging for so many. With $100 million over the next two years to expand access to mental health resources to Indiana residents, I want to ask you, what are some suggestions for Hoosiers to maintain good mental health during the holiday season? And I'm just guessing that the 988 crisis line could serve as a great resource. Well, that's absolutely right. If you are in crisis, you know, if you are are challenged um, by depression or anxiety, Um, and you are suicidal, or even if you aren't suicidal, but you're really struggling, you can call 988. Uh, And that, just like when you have an emergency, you call 911. Well, now, if you have a mental health emergency, or if you even have a question, call 988, and you will speak to a professional who will get you connected to the right resources within your community. Uh, And because so many people... Um, struggle with depression and anxiety, we've seen a 20% increase since COVID among people with anxiety and depression, and particularly among our young people. As you mentioned, Dee, for me, it's very personal because my mother struggled with depression. My older brother died um, of alcoholism, and my younger sister died by suicide. And then our only daughter is 16 years sober and bipolar. So for me, it's very personal, and it's why I advocate for those that are struggling. But the National Alliance on Mental Illness found that 64% of individuals that live with mental illness, their condition worsens during the holidays. And it worsens for a number of reasons. Sometimes it's uh, the weather and the fact that it gets dark early. Sometimes it's because loved ones are no longer with us, and, and and these holidays, which usually were so joyful in the past, now that person is missing. Uh, Sometimes it's the pressure of gift giving and the financial strain that goes along with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And maybe, you know, we love our families, but when we get our families together, sometimes, you know, that causes uh, dissension and (laughs) arguments. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. You know, and, and so looking at all of that, so 
there are a lot of things that we can do. One, as you mentioned, if you really are struggling or if you even have a question about how do I get help, call 988. But also pay attention to your feelings and, you know, have a friend you can reach out to if you're feeling stressed or sad or lonely because people do care. Uh, take care of yourself and connect with your community and support others. Um, those are all things you can do. And then, you know, if you're really depressed, try to stay away from alcohol and drugs, you know, because while many people that suffer from depression and anxiety turn to alcohol and drugs to self-medicate, it doesn't help you. Um, it actually hurts you. And so if you're feeling that need, call 988, you know, call and talk to a professional that can get you connected with the right resources. Lieutenant Governor Crouch, each month for the past year, we have spent time together, albeit virtually, but we have spent time together getting an update from your office on everything from the legislative session to the agencies in which you lead. And one thing that I can attest to is your leadership style as a servant leader. Your willingness to be open and transparent, even on some of those tougher topics that I may ask you about, it is quite refreshing for our listening audience. And to that point, on your official website for the Indiana State Government, you have a page titled Constituent Concerns. And there is even a statement that in part, again, speaks to your commitment to responding to correspondence from all Hoosiers. Share what you call your chief responsibility to serve the people of Indiana, as well as tell how anyone can get in touch with you or your staff. Well, you know, I, I, I started out in public service as a county auditor and a county commissioner down in Vandenberg County. And I made trans, government transparency, you know, a hallmark of my public service and have continued that as a state representative, auditor of state, and now lieutenant governor. Uh, and in fact, as auditor of state, our transparency portal, which actually detailed the how your tax money is being spent, was rated a national leader in our country. And so transparency has always been a focus of mine because if government's not transparent, then government can't be accountable. And quite honestly, Every dollar that comes to government has a name and a face attached to it. So we're not talking about government's money. We're talking about people's money. And so being able to be transparent in how we spend money, but also in how we act in the process that people go through in order to get their needs met, um, it has to be transparent, you know, to give people confidence that their government's working for them, because oftentimes people feel like they're working for their government. And so that is extremely important to me, uh, it, but it's also important at this time when we're getting ready to go into a new session. So January 8th, we'll start the new legislative session. It'll be over, has to be over by March 14th. And I would encourage your listeners to be sure and reach out to your state senator and your state representative because it does make a difference. I'm a former state representative. I come from the Evansville area. And you know, I will tell you on most bills and most issues, my constituents didn't reach out to me. But when they did, it really made a difference. And so please reach out to your senators, reach out to your legislators, let them know your positions. Be sure that you follow what's going on in your state government because it affects you. You can go to www.in.gov 
you can go to backslash Lieutenant LG uh, for the Lieutenant Governor's Office to be able to follow what's going on in our office and contact us. But you can go to www.in.gov backslash IGA for Indiana General Assembly. And you can actually follow what's going on in the General Assembly via the internet uh, or in committee meetings. And so if nothing else, what I'd love to live with, leave with your listeners is please be engaged during this legislative session because this is legislation. These are bills that affect you and your families and your businesses. So, you know, don't sit on the sidelines, be engaged, make a difference in your government and in your life. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you led me to end our conversation with talking about the upcoming 2024 legislative session. I just wanted to say I remember speaking at the end of the 2023 session. I remember speaking to almost every elected official from the region and I even spoke to you over the summer. And I remember in each conversation, and I shared this with you as well, that this recurring theme of bipartisan support working across the aisle to get the work done for all all Hoosiers. It was just so amazing. And it was something that you didn't see across the country and clearly not something that you saw in D.C. And it was just so amazing. And we received so much feedback from our listening audience from those conversations because, again, it was just really amazing to see that all of our elected officials were working to get the job done, not for party, but for all Hoosiers. And so you spoke to constituents tuning in, checking in with their elected officials, being engaged. But I want to ask you, as the 2024 session kicks off January the 8th to again remind our listening audience what's at stake. Well, the the 2024 legislative session is what we call the short session. Uh, and as Lieutenant Governor, I serve as president of the Senate. So when the Senate's in session, I'm running the Senate. And so in the short session, it's more of a kind of a cleanup and a tweaking session. The really meaty issues will be taken up during the long session, which will be in 2025, because that is the budget session. And so many of these big issues are connected to money, just like the 988, you know, suicide hotline. That was money that was actually in the budget this year, which is a long session. So I think the issues that will, I has been, you know, articulated by leadership that will be focused on is in education, we have a real concern because so many of our third graders can't read by third grade. And study after study shows that if you're not able to read by third grade, you're going to struggle through life and you're going to struggle through school because you learn to read and then you read to learn. And so there will be focus on how can we get more students at that proficiency level by third grade, uh, because there's been a lot of discussion about we just pass kids on to the next grade, even if they can't read. And do we really do them justice by doing that? So that'll be a big point of discussion this session. The other issue that will be taken up and will be focused on is about truancy in school that we have 20% of our students that are truant, and that means they miss 18 days or more of school. So if 20% of our students are missing that much of school, are they really getting the fundamentals and learning to be able to be successful in school and in life? And so there will be a focus on how do we address that? How do we keep more of our kids in school so that they're getting prepared for that next step in life upon graduation from high school, whether it's enlistment, employment, enrollment, or apprenticeship. 
and are those will be two issues that will be taken up that really affect not only our families, but it affects our workforce and it affects, you know, how we grow as a state and as a community. Suzanne Crouch is the Lieutenant Governor of the wonderful state of Indiana. Lieutenant Governor Crouch, as always, I thank you for carving out time. I know that you are extremely busy. I'm glad you're not on the road today. But I really thank you for carving out time, spending time with us here on Lakeshore Public Media, sharing with our listening audience right here in the region everything that's happening from the State House. So I really appreciate you for spending time with us today. Well, you are welcome, Dee, and Merry Christmas to you and your listeners. Absolutely. And happy holidays to you and your family as well. You're listening to Regionally Speaking on listener-supported Lakeshore Public Media. NIPSCO is offering to help low-income customers, seniors, military personnel, and veterans struggling to pay higher utility bills to keep their homes warm this winter. The NIPSCO hardship serve or supply energy resources to veterans and silver or seniors in Indiana low-income and vulnerable energy resource applications are open now through May 31st or until funds run out. So people are encouraged to apply as soon as possible and inform family members who also might qualify. Joining us now is Joshana Nash, Communications Manager for NIPSCO. Joshana. Thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Thank you for having me. Joshana, so the leaves have fallen and we've already gotten a glimpse of the coming winter. And with that comes an increase in gas usage as well as a fear of rising utility bills. But I understand there are resources available to help a range of NIPSCO customers. And with so many programs, I wanted to speak to you today to have you help our listening audience understand it all as well as to see if they are eligible to even apply for any of the energy assistance programs. So again, there, there are a lot of programs that are available. So where do we even start? Now, one of the more widely known programs is LIHEAP. So let's start with that. Can you share what is LIHEAP as well as the eligibility requirements for that program? Yes. So LIHEAP or Low Income Home Energy Assistance Program, that is a program that's available to households that are at or below 60% of the state median income. And this program actually opened on October 2nd for online and mail-in applications. So customers that might be eligible or want, if they want to find out if they're eligible, they can always call 211. And by calling that number, the great thing is now when you call, they will help you and walk you through the application process. So if someone feels a little bit overwhelmed with the application, they will actually be able to get assistance when they call 211 with completing the application and understanding the application. But LIHEAP is a great program for customers that fall within that state median income and one that we encourage customers to look into to see if they might be eligible for it. Now, you share that the application process for LIHEAP opened up in October, but I understand that there are a number of other programs in which the application opened up on December 1st. So I want to go through a few of those with you right now. So what is SERVE? Because this is my first time learning of SERVE. Yes. So SERVE is an income eligible assistance program that's available for active military and eligible veteran NIPSCO customers. SERVE actually stands for Supply Energy Resources to veterans. So as I stated, that group of customers 
that may need financial assistance with gas and residential utility charges can determine their eligibility and can receive up to $400 per year if they qualify. So this is a one-time benefit that they can receive if they qualify. So to participate, customers must be an active member of the United States Armed Forces or a former member honorably discharged with an active NIPSCO residential gas utility account that is past due. So yes, we encourage customers to also look into that to see if they are available for service. Now, Jashana, another energy assistance program that is available for income-eligible customers to apply for is SILVER. So what is SILVER and what benefit will it allow for? So SILVER stands for Seniors in Indiana Low-Income and Vulnerable Energy Resources. This program, SILVER, is an income-eligible assistance program available for NIPSCO senior citizen customers, rather, that are 60 years of age or older and who need financial assistance with gas residential utility charges. So eligible senior citizens, they must have an active NIPSCO residential gas utility account that is also past due. Again, with this program, Customers that are eligible or qualified can receive a one-time benefit up to $100 per year if they qualify. Jashana, we have discussed right now a a number of income-eligible programs, but some may not qualify based on those federal poverty guidelines that you shared with us earlier. And I understand NIPSCO hardship could be an option for customers. So tell us about this program. So the NIPSCO hardship program, that's available for customers that are just outside the federal poverty guidelines for LIHEAP. So this program also offers up to $400 in gas bill assistance to households between 151 and 250% of the federal poverty level. So hardship funds, they are available through any of the same local community action agencies where LIHEAP funds are available and are distributed. This program actually, like you said, is opened on December 1st as well, and customers can actually visit our website to learn more about the eligibility with this program. In addition to income-eligible energy assistance programs that are now available for NIPSCO customers to apply for, are there any energy efficiency tips that you can share? Absolutely. So, of course, we're getting into the colder season, as you mentioned earlier. And so there are some things that, you know, we encourage customers to do that can help them save save energy in their home and, and could potentially be a savings in cost as well on their energy bill. One, consider setting the thermostat two to four degrees below what you are used to. It may require, you know, wearing heavier clothing or maybe putting a blanket on, but it's important that's a way to actually save. And then, of course, as you're going into, as we're in the winter time, it's good to have your furnace tuned up by an HVAC contractor. This way you can make sure that your furnace is running properly. Also, change your furnace filters uh, regularly. Dirty filters can block airflow and it forces your furnace to work harder. So this is one thing that we encourage. Also, during the daytime, if it's a sunny day, open your blinds, your curtains, your drapes. Make sure that you're letting the sun in to warm your home. And before the sun goes down, close those blinds and drapes so that you can trap that warmth in as well. A few other things to think about. One thing, sometimes homes can be a bit drafty. So go around your home. Check windows and doors to see if there are places where you're feeling a draft coming in. You can even look for places where there are pipes or vents or electrical conduits and just see if there are some gaps that need to be filled up. And you can do that just with some, you know, caulk, go around and fill those doors up and fill those window cracks up. That way that'll help to 
alleviate some of that draft and kind of keep that warm air and keep the cold air out and make the house a little warmer. Of course, one of the biggest energy users in your home is a water heater. So it's important if you can take quicker showers. Less shower time is, is helpful because you're using less hot water when you do so. So those are definitely some of the things that I would say in terms of energy savings tips in your home to help save on energy and also help with energy costs. Jashana, you have shared a lot of great information with our listening audience today regarding income eligible energy assistance programs that are available. But again, we may have listeners that don't meet the income guidelines shared today, but may still face difficulty paying their gas bill. Can they still call NIPSCO Customer Care to discuss payment options? Absolutely. We do offer, NIPSCO offers flexible payment plans that are available for customers that need um, additional financial support. We have plans that range from three to six or 12-month options. So yes, we do encourage customers to call us if they have questions. And then one other thing I would mention is our budget plan. The budget plan is actually a free service to all NIPSCO customers to help them manage their monthly energy bills. It spreads gas costs out over an entire year. So it is important if you are seeing some financial difficulties, take advantage of the flexible payment plans and definitely take advantage of the free budget plan as well. Finally, Jashana, how can our listening audience find out more information, including the full list of requirements to apply for any of the energy assistance programs that we discussed today? Yes. For more information on bill assistance, customers can visit nipsco.com forward slash financial support. That's nipsco.com forward slash financial support. Or they can give us a call anytime Monday through Friday between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Central Time at 1-800-4-NIPSCO to determine what help might be available to them. If they're interested in more information about um, how to save energy in their home, we encourage them to visit nipsco.com forward slash energy tips. And then again, if they need information about additional energy assistance, visit nipsco.com forward slash financial support. Joshana Nash is a communications manager with NIBSCO. Joshana, I thank you for spending time with us today sharing information about income-eligible energy assistance programs. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Earlier this year, a house built by one of Gary's most influential Black-owned real estate developers was named one of the 10 most endangered places in the state by Indiana Landmarks. And if something isn't done, a key piece of Gary's history will deteriorate to the point of no return. The good news is is that grassroots volunteers are working to save the house and improve the neighborhood around it. So we bring back our conversation with Jide Ikunkonye, founder of the organization Say Yes to Means, about the work she is doing to shine a light on what has been called the showplace of Gary. Here's the conversation. So, Jide, you're here with us today to talk about the campaign that you're leading with your organization, Say Yes to Means, in collaboration with Indiana Landmarks. For those that may be unfamiliar, can you please take a moment to share with our listening audience the history of Means Manor in Gary? Sure, absolutely. Uh, Means Manor is a community that was developed wholly by Means Brothers Developers, which is a company that was founded by Andrew A. Means and his wife, Katie Means. They were joined by his brother's younger brother, Jeter Means, at a time when there was a housing shortage for the African-American community due to the political and racial climate at the time. Black people were 
not only not allowed to access certain areas or neighborhoods, but they were not even allowed to purchase homes through like the normal um, channels that we take for granted, like loans and FHA loans, and even uh, GI loans. And Andrew Means was instrumental in erasing that barrier so that Black people can purchase home and be more, you know, provide equity um, among the African-American community because they were denied that right. And this means Manor community was a community that he developed to address that housing shortage in the Midtown community of Gary, Indiana. And he fought very hard so that the uh, FHA would remove that barrier so that African-Americans can get the loans that they needed to purchase the houses and also for the GI Bill to be applied to the housing for African-American servicemen. And they actually were the first ones to, to purchase the homes. He gave them priority when he first built the development. Means Manor, this community of brick bungalows, was developed by brothers Andrew and Geter Means. And so we're talking about two African-American men having the knowledge and the perseverance and, and, quite frankly, the financial means to develop a community of homes for a group of people who were disenfranchised, who were oftentimes cut off from traditional financing and just flat out being denied their right to buy a home and to live the American dream. And as you just shared, many of them were denied their right to access HFA loans or their GI Bill. We're talking about 100 years ago, right? So tell us about how the Means Brothers afforded African-Americans the opportunity to own their own homes. So I understand that not only did they develop the homes, but they also financed the homes as well. Absolutely. That is correct. Before the Means Manor, and it's the proper name is the Andrew Means Park Manor subdivision. Before that was actually developed, Mr. Means developed over a thousand homes in the area and for all races. So he was really diverse at a time when diversity was not very popular. And he actually developed a community not too far from Means Manor called the Means Model Community. Another one was the F.D. Patterson Community. He also built the building named after his wife. He built another building, apartment complex that was multi-use. It had businesses and living spaces, and that was the Booker T. Washington Terrace Apartment. So up until what he would do, because, you know, a lot of people could not get the loans due to, you know, racism. He would just take people on their word, and they would just pay him directly. So he didn't have, like, a finance company or anything like that. You know, people would just, just be honest and, you know, pay him back for, you know, whatever the whatever they owe for the building of their homes. He also allowed you to pay off the debt. If you didn't have like maybe cash in hand, you could work it off by working on one of his projects or working on your own home. So my grandfather actually, you know, was helped because he worked on his own home when it got built because he didn't have the full down payment. He worked on some other homes when these manor was being built. So he was really wow. creative wow. in overcoming those barriers and those obstacles. It was just really amazing the way he would come up with just genius ideas and just put it, just have faith and, you know, not worry about, okay, hey, this person might not pay me back. That that didn't stop him. Just went forward with it. We're speaking with Jide Ekunkanye, founder of the organization Say Yes to Means. Jide, so let's look at history for a moment, right? So the Means Brothers built the first homes in 1922, which was less than a year after the tragic events in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in which the Mecca and quite frankly, the heartbeat of one of the wealthiest black communities in the U.S. was burned down and sadly destroyed. 
So I can only imagine that these two brothers, these two African-American men, must have faced obstacles along their way as well, correct? Yes, yes, they did. Many obstacles, but they were very creative in overcoming those obstacles. They started the company with with Mr. Means and Mrs. Means started the company in actually a tar paper shack with only $90 and a typewriter. And they they actually built their first home. The, The building materials were loaned to them by the supplier and they was able to sell a house and, you know, flip it and pay that back. And then as they start getting more and more work, you know, they were able to just kind of got a little help there. And then he was able to, you know, go take it off from there because he would build houses and then people would like it. And then the business just grew from there. But he started in the 1920s. And actually, I was told by one of his relatives that the very first house that he built and lived in, he and his wife actually built it using the skills that they learned from Tuskegee University. And, you know, it just got better and better as time went on. Okay, Jide, so I just had a, a moment as you were sharing your grandfather's journey to home ownership and how he worked hard to, of course, pay for his home. Also reminded of the Great Migration, with over 200,000 Black Southerners reaching Geary, Indiana, with the hopes of landing a job at the steel mill. And so ideally, with so many families connected to a business that literally owns the entire town, one would think that housing or rather enough adequate housing, would be available for its labor force. So how much does the steel mill play in the history of Means Manor? Mr. Means himself started out working in the steel mill when he moved up here from Alabama. My grandfather was in the military. My grandfather worked for the tool mill, so the steel mill did play a part because they employed a lot of the people so they could be able to afford those stable income and living wage so they can support their families. So after years of sitting empty, Jeter Means Home, which is located at 2044 Monroe Lane, was recently placed on Indiana Landmark's Top 10 Endangered List of Historical Structures. And this is where you come in. You and your organization, Say Yes to Means, are working to get Means Manor on the National Register of Historic Places so that the contributions of the Means Brothers won't be forgotten, right? So tell us more about what inspired you to become an advocate for not only the Jeter Means Home, but also for Means Manor. Okay, well, first I want to begin and say that we're proud to be partnered with Indiana Landmarks as they are a wonderful organization that's preserving history. Jeter Means is one of the founders of the community and the way it was situated was that when you come into the community, you would see that house. It was like a showpiece. And it's really, really important that those homes are preserved because they are a vital piece of the history of the neighborhood. Unfortunately, Jeter house has fell into disrepair. And we, as a community, we don't want it to be destroyed by blight or decay. Um, the community, even before I even took on the project, have been keeping up the house because they don't want the house to fall down to the ground and be forgotten. And that was Jide Ikonkanye, founder of the organization Say Yes to Means, discussing the work that she is leading to shine a light on what has been called the showplace of Gary. You're listening to Regionally Speaking on listener-supported Lakeshore Public Media. While toys top the list for holiday gifts, one of the best gifts a parent can give to their child is to teach them financial literacy. That's because children whose parents give them opportunities to manage money when they're young often grow up to be financially responsible. And while it could seem impossible to teach kids money lessons around the holidays, there are several fun lessons that parents can incorporate this season. From budgeting when purchasing gifts 
to giving kids a chore break when they give to charity, to mimic the tax break that parents receive when they donate, to helping their kids invest the monetary gifts that they receive. Northwest Indiana Financial Advisor Greg Hammer is here with us to provide several ideas to help parents teach their kids that money matters, even during the holidays. Greg, as always, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Thanks for having me, Dee. Yeah, absolutely. So, Greg, you state that one of the best gifts a parent can give to their children is teaching them how to manage money. How is that possible when the holidays are all about excess? Well, Dee, I think the main reason you want to teach the kids the money lessons is so they will become financially responsible as adults. And even though, you know, we're in the middle of a season of spending, it's important to to set that example for your children. And, you know, often kids pick up more on what we do as adults rather than say. So if they see mom and dad purchasing in excess, they could easily replicate that and, and that behavior, not just today, but in the future. You know what, that's actually, you're correct, that is an actually a good tip. Um, and I know you're a father, so I just have to ask you, does this idea work with all kids? Well, you know, the kids are all different. We know that, right? And I've noticed that not all the approaches I've used, even with one daughter, work with the other daughter. And, you know, and kids react differently to how you instruct or try to teach them. So being kids or young adults, the parents, you know, are, they, you know, what we're listening can pick and choose from ideas, you know, that we're discussing today to see what works. And the important thing is, you know, parents to get started and implement, you know, some financial lessons where they can um, where they can, you know, because as a financial advisor, I can tell you that, you know, unhealthy bad habits can be crippling when trying to reach financial goals. That's true. Now, Greg, before we get into some of the suggestions, how should parents who haven't had money discussions with their kids approach the money talk? So be honest, right, with the kids and explain to the kids and young adults that these money tasks and strategies are the same money tasks and strategies that mom and dad use to save for the house, to save for retirement, uh, when mom and dad stop working, even for like college expenses. And since managing money is a lifelong responsibility, rather than being preachy or scolding to the kids, uh, parents can try to work along with the kids while they're making some of their money decisions, but still give them some autonomy to make some financial decisions on their own. So this will help build their financial confidence while having the security that you know, mom and dad are still overseeing it, making sure they're not making mistakes. Right. You know, Greg, that makes a lot of, of sense. Now, I have a stumper question for you. Kids enjoy purchasing holiday gifts for loved ones, and you suggest that before they do, they create a budget. Budgeting for everybody, especially kids, can seem boring. Why is it so crucial? Well, I mean, it's just the simplicity that individuals who don't budget associate budgeting with being constrictive, right? So whereas individuals who do budget think it's kind of the opposite of boring and even exciting because they know they are controlling where their money is going and and when they will reach their financial goals. Um, A specific example that we use is budget for vacation, budget for fund money. You know, those are the ways that you can actually find the money to do the things you want to do without hurting you in the long run financially. Greg, you have convinced us all on the importance of budgeting. How can parents develop a holiday budget for their kids? Because I know that's always difficult. Well, first, parents, you know, should decide on the money that their kids will use for their holiday spending. You know, it could be the money that they have saved from babysitting or chores or part-time jobs or a 
specific amount of money that you give them or a combination of the above, right? And then parents can use this opportunity to teach the kids why they need to create the budget and the consequences they face when they don't budget. So finally, making a list, naming the people for whom you will buy and the amount you will spend for each person just helps them stay within a budget so that, you know, they're not stuck with uh, or spend a lot more than they had anticipated going into the holiday season. Right, right. Now, Greg, ads are everywhere influencing kids. And a lot of ads, I will be honest with you, are on social media uh, apps that they use like TikTok and all of that. And those ads are especially enticing to shop impulsively because you'll see notifications that say limited time sale. How can kids become savvy holiday shoppers? Um, there's a lot of strategies that parents can implement, you know, to help the kid, kids not fall victim to these purchasings, uh, purchasing impulsively specifically. Um, first, uh, parents can help kids develop a list of gift ideas for the people they are purchasing for, purchasing for, and then decide if it fits with these, you know, quote unquote, as you mentioned, limited time sales and see if it works. And um, parents can teach their children that, you know, sometimes waiting 24 hours before buying an item will help them realize whether or not that item is actually going to be something that makes sense for them to purchase. So they're not just being influenced emotionally. And that's the impulse buying, right, is being convinced emotionally that they might be missing out or that loss. And that's why we go to buy in those limited time scenarios. You can also teach the kids about price comparing. You know, if they price compare, parents can make it a game. If kids save $5 on an item, they can save that $5 for themselves or keep it to spend on something else. So they can learn how to just not, you know, take the price as given, but shop and and try to to be more um, uh, effective and, you know, not spend the type of money that uh, they do just by buying impulsively. And then if kids can't afford an item, they can decide, you know, if they want to either save for that item or purchase something different to possibly make a gift. So the goal is always to stay within the budget, which will teach them very sound principles moving forward as they begin to have, you know, those lifestyle budgets that we all have as adults. Now, Greg, you state that you are never too young to start investing to get the benefit of compound interest. Parents can teach kids to use money that's left over from the holiday budget, working extra shifts at work, or monetary gifts that they've received to start investing. How can kids do that when everyone is spending during the holidays? Well, the ultimate goal is to help the kids and young adults uh, young adults to secure their financial future. So when kids learn healthy financial habits as a, at a young age, like being financially responsible becomes automatic for them, just like brushing their teeth or putting on a you know a car seat belt. And and saving is always a smart decision, and it is part of the budget. That's what we teach people. When you budget, you know the most important part of your budget is to pay yourself first. And investing early is one of the smartest things kids can do because of the value of compound interest, how it grows over time. You know you've probably heard these examples before, D. But if you have a a 10-year-old that invested $50 at 7%, they would have a little over 7,000 in 10 years. If they kept that money in their, you know, invested and then invested $100 a month instead of 50, you know, now they're in their 20s. And after another 10 years, they would have over $29,000. And when they're in their 30s, if they start investing, you know, 250 and so on, and, and, and you keep building on it. We tell people, What's probably the most difficult thing is is if you start later, you see this very overwhelming number 
to hit your goals and objectives. But if you start building these habits at a young age and you're constantly just adding on, you know, the first $50 I started with was a lot way back when. And that's just a small part of the things that we're doing moving forward. So it's it's much more to challenge to, to achieve these types of habits if you start investing later because, hey, I got to start with a $1,000 a month in order to hit my goals instead of just adding on to what you've been doing over your entire lifetime. Greg, I want to end our conversation for today and actually for this year by speaking about philanthropy. Indiana residents are very charitable. How can kids learn about finances through charitable giving? Well, I, there's so many programs. You know, we have, like, even in our church, an angel trade type of program, you know, where it actually teaches them that, you know, not everybody has the benefits of, of the gifts and the and the, the opportunities that they do. And it reshifts their thinking from wanting to giving and helping out these people. And you could teach older kids to set aside a tiny portion of their earnings for charitable giving. giving. Teach them about tithing. You know, give them a, a core break like the IRS gives tax breaks, so to speak. And uh, for the younger kids, you know, starting out by simply giving things that are important to them, like donating a book, unused toys, you know, clothes that they're not using. You know, how, t- teaching them how to appreciate what they have and how they can help others that are less fortunate in the future. And this is very, very impactful, I think. It's one of my passions. You know, we do a lot of that stuff even quarterly here at our organization. Um, we just had a, our, our clients were phenomenal and just had a huge toy drive for the Northwest Indiana kids. I think we raised over 600 toys in a day. Wow. So these are all things that will carry on. I remember the angel tree when I was a kid in church, right? And, mm-hmm. and these types of things have you appreciate more of what you have and even think more about how you can help others. And you, you give, and when you give, you receive. Absolutely. And I just want to say, I just had the Northwest Indiana commander from the Salvation Army on recently, and he spoke about the Angel Tree program and the need. And so absolutely, that is actually an excellent way for children to start to to see that there is a need for children that look just like them that live in their same community and to give back. And as a, as a parent, I tell you, it is very, very rewarding when you see when your kids act accordingly and do something, say, hey, dad, I want to I want to do this for the church, or I want to do this for somebody in the community or for an elder. I mean, that's very, very gratifying to see that they have that compassion and that consideration for other people around them. They model what they see, and so you're doing an excellent job. Greg Hammer is the president and CEO of Hammer Financial Group. Greg, I really enjoy whenever we have an opportunity to chat. I hope that you have a lovely holiday season, and I look forward to connecting with you again in 2024. Thanks so much, Dee. You have a great Christmas and a good new year, and I'll look forward to seeing you and talking to you in January. And that's it for Regionally Speaking for this week. Thanks to each of our guests, and we look forward to having you back with us next week with an all-new show.